Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, we're in the third week of this series on life hacks and God's life hacks. But there's a bunch of life hacks you can find if you search on the internet. And so uh, this is the definition of a life hack. It's, it's a strategy adopted to basically save you some time, uh, approach things in a more efficient way in life. So here's a few examples of some life hacks. Here's, here's one. If you want to keep bananas longer, you can wrap the stems in plastic wrap. Somebody tried that. Last service, we had some people that, that did that. And, and it seems like... Now, who uses this next life hack? This is a good life hack. They're expensive, but, you know, it's, it, it, if you got pets or just if you, if you have a house, you need to sweep it or vacuum it. This is a great invention, I think. What about this next one? Here's a life hack. If you want to keep track of the stuff that you loan out to your friends, take a picture of them holding the object they want to borrow, and you'll, you'll, you'll get it back someday. <laughs> Keep items longer, lose some friends faster, probably. <laughs> Here's a way to life hack your Fitbit, right here. <laughs> One minute on a drill is equivalent to 3,000 steps, I've heard. So, I actually found a, a YouTube clip, it was a news article, where there was a reporter taking a, uh, they were doing like a, a segment on life hacking the Fitbit, because some companies reduce the insurance premiums for their employees if they stay fit and, and, and in good shape. And so this segment had anonymous people. You know, they, they were just guys. So you couldn't see them. They're talking in the camera, but it's like graying over their face, and it's got the, it's got like the, the deep voice, so it's, you know, like voice recognition. You can't tell who it is, so it's like, I get, I get a reduced premium, so I've hacked the system. And this one guy, he put his life, he put his Fitbit inside of some, a, a sock, and he threw it in the, in the dryer. There you go. Here's some life hacks. Uh, if you're into iced coffee, you can put it in a, uh, in a tray. If you're into chicken broth, you can do that with chicken broth, too. <laughs> and if you have a dog and you want your dog treats to last longer, here's a dog treat life hack. This thing can go to town on that thing for, uh, you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> All right, we'll move the dog. Okay. Send me your life hacks. Somebody, you know, I'm starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel, I think, on these life hacks. So uh, they, they might be helpful, but they're certainly not life-changing hacks. So we're looking at God's life hacks from the Bible. So far, we've looked at two of them. The first one is fear God, fear the Lord. The second one is trust in the Lord. Those two major concepts in the Bible are found throughout the Scripture. Fear God and trust God. Today, we're going to look at another life hack. This is the surprising advantage of humility. And so I want to get started by a really interesting, looking at a brief, interesting verse from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 28. In this section of the Proverbs, we're told that there are, there are some very small yet extremely wise creatures. And so here's one of them. A lizard. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. What gives a lizard access to the most powerful building in, in the land? It's, is it that it's so fast? Is it that it's so powerful? No, I mean, it's not that fast and powerful. Lizards are not hard to catch. Have you ever tried to catch a lizard before? You can catch them, right? I mean, 
some some of you probably don't would never catch a lizard. You're, you're creeped out by lizards, but you know kids can catch the lizards. It's not their speed. How do they get access into powerful places? It's it's their low profile, right? They're so low to the ground that they can find cracks and crevices. They can get into buildings and structures. Here in Riverside, we have a lot of lizards, especially in these parts, like constantly lizards on our property. If you have animals, that that probably helps keep the lizards away, but. Often in Scripture, the the visual imagery or the picture of humility is connected to taking a low position, to to taking a low profile. And and humility has a surprising advantage. It, It is actually the way forward in life. It's the way to advance in life. The key is not how much power can I have or how how how. How great can I uh, project myself to be? How, how much can I magnify my status? It, to gain power that way is really a backwards approach. It actually is a setup for a lot of disaster in our life when we try to puff ourselves up. It's really the humble who are able to advance their way through life, maneuvering through difficult challenges. It's, it's, you find that the way forward in life is, to, is down, not up. It's humility. Now, what's the opposite of pride look like? Or the opposite of humility? It's it's pride. Here's a verse on pride. The proud and arrogant man, Proverbs says, mocker is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. The name for a proud person here is mocker. To mock, sometimes it's translated to scoff. You might say that in, in, uh, in your version of the Bible. So, to mock at, to scoff at. It just basically means... A person who's puffed up and they begin to talk down on other people. They mock out of their pride. And pride is really our native default heart problem. Where we just exalt ourselves, we elevate ourselves above other people. And th- there is a good pride. Pride is not always a bad thing. Sometimes you can have pride in, in the right thing. Like if you choose to do what's right before God. Uh, there's a good pride that comes out of that. But for the most part in the Bible, when pride is referenced, it's not the good variety. It's actually a warning against pride. It actually speaks against pride. Because bad pride elevates itself, puffs itself up, and often it just sets a person up for disastrous consequences. You've heard the verse, pride comes before what? The, the fall. I mean, it sets us up for disastrous consequences. But humility takes a very different approach. And so that's why it's, it's the next life hack we're looking at. Life hack number three is this. It's choose humility. Instead of trying to power up, Try to take a lower profile. Now that shows up in three very practical settings. The first one is this. If I choose humility, then before God, I bow. It means before God, I, 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 I bow before Him. I go, I go low before Him. I lower myself. I take a step down. Now humility and pride both begin with our relationship with God. When we take on a low position and recognize our place before God, if we do this, God actually gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us grace if we choose humility. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 34. God mocks proud mockers. But He gives grace to the humble. Now this, this, this is true. God will mock in our pride. He will mock us. Now, it's not in a spiteful way. I want to show you how this looks. None of us want God mocking us because when God says down... And when we're being prideful, when God says down, down you go. This isn't God's way of, this is just, this is the natural consequences of our pride. God mocks proud mockers. So if you mock or look down on gravity, who wins? 
gravity every time. You, know, you don't wake up and think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove gravity wrong today. That will probably be your last day. If you mock or look down on God, who wins? God. God wins every time. When we choose pride and we puff ourselves up, try to magnify ourselves, we put ourselves into the center of the universe and we decide we're the most important. And to do this, what we have to do is we actually have to reduce God's weight and worth and shrink Him down and we have to magnify our own weight and worth and and kind of elevate and stretch ourselves out not in reality, but, but in our mind, that's what we do. But our imaginary weight and worth hasn't really changed the facts of, of who we are and where we really are in life. And humility, it's not, it's not low self-esteem, but it's just keeping an accurate understanding of where you fit in the universe. It's knowing that you and I, we're, we're not at the center of the universe. God is. And so in humility, a person just kind of, they bow, they actually bow to the reality, like they get down and they lower them, so they take a step intentionally down. And in in given situation, they bow to the reality of the situation even. We bow before God and we, we, we declare that He is at the center of the universe. When we do this, when we actually humble ourselves, the scripture here says that God, He gives grace to those who take a step down. He gives grace. All kinds of challenges and, and difficulties and issues in life that were very hard become possible and easier when God extends grace to you. And we need that. God offers His grace to the humble, though. And that's, that's a real life act. If you can choose humility, this is something that, that helps in life tremendously. I want grace in my marriage. I want grace when I sin. I want grace in my friendships. I want grace when I'm under major pressure. Life is still hard if you have grace, but if God gives you grace, it eases the pain, but God only gives grace to the humble. He doesn't give it to the proud, to the proud, to the mocker. And this really is, it starts with a major decision of just bowing before God. If you've never done that, if you've never said, God, you're in the center and I, I yield my life to you, it's one major bow, but then it's, a, it's many more. It's followed up by many more bows in your life choosing to keep him in the center. Now, how do we do the, the opposite of this? How do we mock God? God mocks proud mockers. What does that really look like? We usually don't look up to, to heaven and, and point our finger at God and mock God. I mean, some people have, but our mocking is usually a lot more subtle. What we typically do is we mock people who are made in God's image. We look down on people. We put people down. Now, if, you put, if you put my kids down... If you start putting my kids down, now we've got a problem, right? And parents, if, if, if I put your kids down, we, we have a problem because your kids are a reflection of you. And so God feels the same way. If you bow before God in humility, it means this. It means I don't mock people. That's what it means. One of the, things that this, one of the ways this shows up is we, we really work on mocking in regards to people that God has made. When we treat other people with no respect, when we're, when we're doing that, we're really mocking the one who made them and who loves them and who's placed value and worth on them. So we just don't do that. We avoid mocking. And when we do mock other people, when we find ourselves putting someone down or making a joke about someone or just being cruel, we clean it up. When God says, you know what, that was wrong. I love that person. That, that was wrong. We clean it up when we do. We own up to hurtful comments. We own up to gossip. We just don't mock 
people because it matters to God. They're made in His image. Another thing is, if we choose to bow before God, then we also don't mock circumstances. Whenever we look down on what's happening in our life, and we begin to grumble about it, we think we're grumbling to no one in particular, right? So if you're having a rough stretch in your life, you grumbling kind of, even the Greek word for grumbling, it has to do, it sounds like you're grumbling. The word in, in, in Greek, this is, this is an Old Testament Hebrew passage, but the New Testament word for, for grumbling is gongosmos. Gongosmos. It kind of sounds like you're grumbling. But when you're having a rough time and you're just, we, we tend to think, oh, I'm just grumbling to myself. But all of our grumbling is actually directed at someone. It's actually directed at the one who could change our circumstances, but has not done that. All of our grumbling is, is, he hears our grumbling. God can change the circumstances in your life. And when we complain about our life, our mocking is not, you know, just to ourselves. It's to the one who runs life and can reshape. In a way, we're kind of looking down and saying, this is not how I would do it. My life isn't playing out the way it should be. This is not, if I were in charge, it would look differently. I would do better. In a way, we're refusing at that point to bow to the God who allowed this to happen. And we often miss doing what really we can do and, and what God wants to do through that difficult trial. And this all comes from, again, that arrogant assumption in our heart about we deserve it. We start each day with a sense, a strong sense of entitlement. I deserve to be treated a little bit better than I am. I deserve to be treated a certain way by my spouse, my children, my coworkers, my friends, my boss. I deserve a break. I deserve more margin. I deserve more pay. I deserve more recognition. I, de- I deserve to enjoy the fruits of my labor. I certainly don't deserve to be cut off in traffic. You know, that, again, that, this complaining about our life experience is serious. Our emotions, they kind of rise and fall each day based on what we think we deserve. And as long as we mock, that verse, Proverbs 3, verse 34, comes into play. God mocks proud mockers. As long as we mock and don't choose humility, we do not get the grace and the help that we need from God to face the challenges that we're walking through. I spent a little more time on this first point because if we don't get this first point, we will we won't likely do the other two. But that, this is an first, important first point. Before God, I bow. Second, if I choose humility, before valid leaders, I follow. Who, who are the leaders in your life currently? It changes. The scenery changes in your life. But you have some leaders that God has placed over you. You work for someone. There's a boss or the government. Or, or so there's city leaders. There's government leaders. There's... Spiritual leaders, there's family leaders, you know, there's leaders. This is another area where humility gets very real. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker, mocker does not listen to being rebuked. Our first exposure to leadership is, is really with our parents. They're the first ones, your parents are the first ones to challenge you and to say no. Not going to happen. Uh, our parents are the first ones to, to inform us that we're not in the center of the universe. They're the first ones to discipline us. And we either, through those years, humbled ourselves 
and heeded the instruction or we didn't. And we stiffened our neck and dug in. And mockers, whether, whether the mocker is 2 years old, 12 years old, 42 years old, 82 years old, mockers will not listen to their leaders. The humble, on the other hand, they follow valid leaders. They follow their, their authority figures. In other, you know, it's one thing to, to humble yourself before God and follow Him, but it's another thing to humble yourself before a person who's called your, your boss or your leader. That's a difficult thing. Why is it so difficult? And God, why did you decide to lead us through leaders? Why, why did you decide to set up this structure in this way? Why didn't... And we would probably prefer that God just lead us all one by one without any leaders, right? Just one-on-ones with God constantly. That's it. I just follow orders from God and that's it. He's my only leader. I mean, sure, God is your leader. If you've made Him the boss, He is your leader. But yeah, we want God to just be the one-on-one leader and then go around the boss, right? Why doesn't God just lead us directly one-on-one? Why doesn't He do that? Well, because if you follow God only one-on-one, you can very easily pretend to follow your authority structure, your, 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 leader here, your leaders here and now. Imagine you worked for a company where the, at the head of this business, the bo- there's a boss, but the boss is never, ever seen. But everyone in the company reports directly to the boss, one-on-one. What would happen? Everybody would do whatever they want. And they'd say, yeah, the boss told me to do that. Boss gave me permission to do that. Boss let me set my hours. Boss let me come in when I want. Boss, boss let me set my pay. <laughs> you inform HR. <laughs> this is what we want to do with God, actually. A leader tries to give us input in our lives and we say, you know what? God didn't, God didn't say I needed to do that directly. So we use the trump card. God, God told me to do such and such. God and I have worked out an arrangement here. And, God, and a leader said, you sure you're hearing that from God? Oh yeah, God told me. That's why God often leads, or the way that God leads us here and now in the structures like your workplace, your family life, your, your, your interaction with, with formal organization, one of the main ways that God, the invisible God, guides you is through leaders. God guides you to help through your leaders to keep you on track. But for that to happen, humility has to kick in. Humility must be real. You can't pretend to follow your leader. You actually have to really follow the boss, don't you? It doesn't mean you follow them blindly off a cliff. You, fo- you follow, like we said, valid leaders. There are some leaders that they, they make themselves invalid and you, you can move on. But it doesn't mean you just follow the leaders that you agree with or the, that see it your way. Because if we keep leapfrogging from leader to leader looking for the one who sees it my way, then I'm, I'm, maybe I'm really not following. Maybe I'm really not humbling myself. So these first two, very important. Before God I bow, before valid leaders I follow. And then third, one, le- low, one other aspect of taking a low profile, low position in life is before others I admit my sin. 
This is a part of humility. When we blow it and other people are impacted, we clear that up with them. We, sure, we confess it to God. God, I sinned against you. But when, it, when the splatter circle hits other people, we confess that and we admit our sin in full. We don't cover it up. We don't justify it or we don't run from it. We face it. We admit it. And it's very humbling, isn't it, when we do this? But it's the only way to move forward in life. Proverbs 14, verse 9. Fools mock at making amends for sin. It's like, I don't need to own that. Deal with it. Get over it. Move on. Don't make such a big deal. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among, among the upright. This is a mark of, of the righteous. Is they, you know, they sin still. Yeah. If you're righteous, righteous doesn't mean, that, you know, to be upright doesn't mean you're a perfect person, but you make it right. You, you clear that up. Now, fools, they, they mock at this. They mock at making amends for sin. The whole idea about being honest about the flaws in our lives is something that the proud and the arrogant person will shake their head at and look down on. If you're proud, you, you can't let anyone see who you really are. You can't acknowledge your flaws. You, you, you can't be honest. And so you, you end up trying to hide the parts of your life that make you look really bad and pretend like, I've got it all together. And that's just a lot of pressure, and it makes for really, really shallow relationships. But it's, on, the, on the other hand, it's, it's humbling to be just honest. Now, this, this shows up for me most often in my marriage, where I know, when I know I'm in a situation when I'm in the wrong, but I don't want to admit, I don't want to admit that I'm in the wrong. Get into a disagreement, and I can spend 30 minutes in my mind or more coming up with excuses in my mind for why I don't need to ask her forgiveness. And I can think about the work pressure that I feel like I'm under. I can think about the circumstances or the timing of this conversation that I didn't want to have. And I can think about all the reasons why I don't need to, to clear this up. Sure, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have had that attitude. But, but why didn't you understand this right now? Come on, the, the size of my wrong was barely an infraction. And I could sit there stewing and trying to think through, how can I explain this in a way that where I'm not really at fault here? It was, in my estimation, it was barely a sin. I mean, just me have crossed the line, but I... I was at a soccer game yesterday, and in soccer, occasionally the ball, like from the sidelines, sometimes it looks like the ball crosses the line on the sidelines. You're like... Go and the referee's like, no go. What are you? It would cross the line. No, no go, no go. Parents going crazy on the sidelines. You know, we we do this with our sin. What wasn't a sin? That wasn't a sin. And somebody, yes, it was. It clearly. Did. And we go back and forth on this issue of of was it a sin? And why is it so hard for us to ask for forgiveness? Because it's humbling. Whenever I finally admit my sin and I ask my wife to forgive me, what happens? What happens is the goodwill between us is restored and is deepened. You'd think that admitting my sin would be met with disapproval. Not approval, but guess what? Your sin and my sin is no great secret. My wife is never shocked 
I mean, it's not like, you know, me admitting the truth of my sin. All of a sudden she goes, oh my gosh. Wow. You're not perfect. All these years I thought you... I thought you'd have that cleaned up, that sin stuff cleaned up by now. And, and it, it didn't... Me admitting my the truth of my sin doesn't add to her knowledge of me. It just adds to her trust. If I won't fully admit my sin, though, like fully admit it, fully own it, call it what it is, then the chance of me doing that again tomorrow is very high, isn't it? <laughs> so we've got to admit it. And when you, when you make amends for your sin, I recommend you say the words... Just say the words, would you forgive me for, and then fill in the blank. That's, if, if you're married, write that down. Would you forgive me for, and then be very specific. If you say only, I'm sorry, or I apologize, and this is a different field, isn't it? You, you really sin, you hurt someone. Sorry, or apologize. You're expressing an emotion, but you're not really taking responsibility for it. Go back to yesterday's soccer game. It was a rough, it was a physical game. Under 14 league, rough, rough game. The team that my son was uh, playing against, they were pretty physical. They were bigger. And, and they were just, you know, they were, it was getting under the skin of a lot of my son's players and teammates and stuff. And at one point, the ball, the kid who was the roughest, uh, ball goes out of bounds near him, and he's kind of standing near the sideline. Ball goes out of bounds, and one of the, my son's teammates gets the ball to throw it in. His, his, his teammates are all out there, you know, ready to receive the ball. And the bad guy from the other team is right here. The bully from the other team is right here, just kind of waiting, you know, on the sideline. The kid, the kid goes up from my son's team. He's like, <laughs> throws it at the guy's chest, bounces off the guy's chest. And the kid from my, team, from my son's team, pretty big kid on our team, he's like, sorry, man. And he runs off on the field. I haven't watched a ton of soccer, but, you know, sometimes what we do is that. We, we sin against someone, we intentionally, or, we, or, or in the moment, we cross the line. It's clearly sin. And then we, we're like, sorry, man. Sorry, wife. Sorry, friend. Sorry, boss. And we run off. And we haven't really made any admittance of, of our sin. So whatever the area might be for you when it comes to humility, the question that often comes up in our mind is this. It's how low can I go without actually humbling myself? We do the Christian limbo. Like how low can I actually go here without actually humbling myself and admitting my sin or admitting that I'm, I'm really in opposition to God on this one. I'm really trying to drive myself to the center of the universe. Right? I'm really pushing my agenda above the, the plan of the, the leader, the boss, the vowed leader. And we, we, we try to just play this game of, of limbo. And how, how far can I really go without actually humbling myself? And we'll, if we're asking that question, then we're still hanging on to this issue of pride. The humility is really counterintuitive. It's never impressive to, to look at humility. And it's, it's, it's almost no one aspires to be humble, Right? In our culture, it's just counterintuitive. But it's God's secret passageway forward in life. It's, it's like the lizard that gets into the king's palace. You look at the end of a humble person's life and you ask the question, how did this person get there? 
He's not who I expected to be leading in that way. How did they get there? Well, it's because again and again and again when life was hard and their agenda was thwarted, that person bowed before God. They took their, their place before God in humility. Or when their leaders tried to correct them, they actually listened and they followed rather than mock their leaders. Or, or when they sinned and they didn't, they didn't excuse it. They didn't ignore it. They admitted their sin. They asked people for forgiveness. And that, that paves the path. That humble path paves the path for God to provide grace and blessing and favor and exaltation in God's timing. Look at Proverbs 11.2. We'll wrap up with this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So based on what you've heard, what, what is your next step? What do you think God is asking you to do in response to this message this morning? There's a few suggestions there. Change your approach to your boss, your authority figure, that leader. Or, or second, ask forgiveness for and then fill in the blank. Be real specific on that. And then finally, once again, or maybe for the first time before, God, bow and put Him first. Put Him in the center of your life. If you've never done that before, we'd encourage you to begin to get your questions answered about how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. On the back of your connection card, there's a place where you can indicate more information. If you'd like more information about how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, we'd love to help you do that. And I want to pray, and we'll continue. Father, thank You for this time and for Your Word. We're so grateful for how you speak to us through it. Lord, this is such a difficult area for us to, to bow in humility before you and to, to humble ourselves, Lord, situations with leaders. And, and so, God, we just thank you for your work in us. And I pray you'd convict us of any areas that we need to clear up or just change. We pray, God, that you'd bring through your spirit, Lord, uh, just real personal conviction in this area, Lord, in our lives, Lord. Help us, Father, we, we pray, to respond and be soft to, to you when you show us things that we need to change. We thank you for the grace that you bring to those who are humble. That's a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.